it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, April 22nd, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show from New York City. Very happy to have you all along here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. You should listen live if you can, between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. If you can't, we do have a podcast that's free and on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com. It's been a long week in terms of TV duties and radio and everything else, but it's fun to be up here in New York. It's great to be here with the whole team. And we will have some team-building time later in the show especially during the home stretch, which I hope that you will all stay tuned for at the very end of today's show. Here's the lineup on today's edition. Brandon Judd will join us later this hour. He is with the U.S. Border Patrol, the president of the National Border Patrol Council. There is some very sad news from the border today. It appears that a law enforcement officer has died trying to rescue someone in a river. There's also a report out just coming across on Fox News Channel that sources are saying in New York that a high-profile murder in Queens here in New York City, it appears that the suspect that has been brought into custody in connection with that murder is an illegal immigrant. We will talk with Brandon Judd about the border crisis coming up later this hour, and I will remind you as a programming note, the Guy Benson Show will be at the border next Monday and Tuesday. We'll be in two different cities along the border in Texas. We're guests of the state of Texas. I'm going down there with two of my colleagues at townhall.com for a reporting trip, Katie Pavlich, Julio Rosas, and we will be bringing you this show from down there Monday and Tuesday, so you do not want to miss that. On today's show, still from New York, Josh Krasauer will join us in the middle hour talking politics, some new polling, more trouble for Democrats. That's upcoming. And then it is Fridays with Kat. Kat Timpf, our friend and colleague, she will be here in studio right across from me, and we'll get up to all sorts of nonsense with her. So a full slate ahead. Plus this, we are going to open up the phone lines on a topic that we will explain later on this hour. But if you want to jot down our toll-free number ahead of the crush of calls, it's 833-456-1300. And we will give you that topic a bit later on. 833-456-1300, our toll-free telephone number here at The Guy Benson Show. Let's begin with a topic that we did cover yesterday with Charles Cook from National Review. It is getting a ton of attention today. It's all over the news channel throughout the morning and afternoon. It is this showdown in Florida over Disney and wokeness and the parents' rights bill and that whole battle that's been playing out. We will not go through all of my thoughts on the Florida bill, that LGBT slash parental rights bill. I have explained that many times over. 
It is nuanced. It's sort of middle of the road. And I think it's fair based on the actual reading of the text. Disney came out and said, oh, this is don't say gay. This is terrible. This is an attack on our communities. Uh, It should never have been passed. We're going to fight to get it repealed. And the Republicans in Florida, the GOP, which controls both chambers and the legislature in Tallahassee and, of course, the governorship with Ron DeSantis, they've responded by saying, "Okay, Disney, if you're going to get very outspoken on this and you're going to decide to weigh into our politics and to our culture wars in this state and criticize the government, well, there's some privileges that we in the government have extended to you for many years. Uh, We're going to take those privileges away now. See how you like it. Now, I am a supporter of Governor DeSantis. I think overall he's done a very good job in Florida. I think that the Republicans already won this fight. Right? They passed the bill. It is now law. Disney went crazy, and guess what? They failed. They couldn't stop the law. They're not going to be able to repeal it, certainly not anytime soon. In fact, the law is popular in the country and in the state of Florida based on multiple polls. There are concerns that I personally have about it, but the central area where all the fighting was about, K through 3, instruction or indoctrination on gender and sexual identity, that ban on that type of curricula for that age group is widely, broadly popular with the American people, as it should be. That stuff does not need to be taught to six- and seven-year-olds. It just doesn't. That's what the law said. The left went crazy. They picked the fight. Disney picked a side in the fight, and they lost. And I guess what the decision has been from DeSantis and the Republicans in the state is, all right, we've had enough. Woke corporations, and we saw this in Georgia, we've seen this elsewhere, woke corporations casting their lot with the left and coming after the elected governments of states, they feel like they can just sort of do whatever they want. They can respond to the left. They don't have to worry about the right at all. They'll ultimately be just fine. And they're going to side with the left because there's a high cost culturally If you don't do that and the Republicans in Florida said, "Okay, we want to impose a significant cost. If you do. It's a counterweight. Now, this is, in my book, bullying. They're going to try to bully Disney toward neutrality or something back toward the middle. All right. You're scared of your woke employees. You're scared of the left wing activists. Well, maybe you should be scared of the people elected in Florida who are very likely about to get reelected, probably pretty strongly by the standards in that state. That is a type of bullying that a lot of conservatives are supportive of now, given the context. I get it on a visceral level. I understand the appeal, making an example of Disney. And you've heard it on this show. I have just been beating away at Disney, flogging Disney for well over a year on this stuff. They are some of the worst hypocrites on wokeness anywhere. They're right up there with Nike and the NBA. And I've said it over and over again. Quiet Wyatt, one of our producers, is a big Disney guy. To his chagrin, I have just taken out the, you know, the whip and just bang, bang on Disney constantly because they deserve it. Whatever you think of the law down in Florida... For them to be up on a high horse, preening about this, indignant about this law, when they make money, lots of money, in countries where homosexuality is illegal, 
where they have nothing to say about the genocide in China where they make a bunch of money and actually censor their own movies for the censors in China and thank the Chinese Communist Party for letting them film in the province of China where there's a genocide happening. I have absolutely zero interest in hearing from Disney about human dignity or whatever. It is all a big charade for a specific, narrow domestic audience. And now there's another domestic audience that Disney needs to worry about, a big, pounding headache called Ron DeSantis. And maybe they could have thought this through a little better. Now, all of that being said, I still ultimately come down on the side that this is not the way to use government power, especially because the Republicans already won. Like, maybe they can just flex and demonstrate, hey, Disney, we've got the votes to pass this thing. We're not going to do it this time. And again, this is this is still a lot of like sort of pushing the line for me and then back off, because I think it's actually been a pretty successful arrangement in Florida for the state and for Disney for many years in terms of taxpayers who could get hosed on this. The employees of Disney, I just don't know on the merits, like on, on like the actual details of this particular case, what they're doing to Disney. I'm not sure it's in the interest of anyone. I also don't like any government entity saying, we disagree with what you've said. You've opposed us. We're the ruling party. And because you've opposed us, we're going to punish you. We're going to specifically target you. This is retribution. They're not even really pretending otherwise. It's not like they got rid of this special sort of carve out for all the entities that enjoy it. It's just Disney specifically. It is punitive. It is retribution. It's punishment. Straight up. And I think that that is an abuse of government power. I do. Even though viscerally I get it and it appeals to me, we still need to stick to some principles. We hate it when the left does this. You say, well, the left always does it, so it's their turn to live by their rules. I get that too. As I mentioned to Charles yesterday, if I could be convinced that doing this would actually change things, And companies would start to think twice and three times before they just bow down to the mob and do whatever the left-wingers want them to do. And they could actually start to get more moderate or just neutral. Just stay out of culture war politics altogether. If that were the outcome of this kind of thing, maybe I'd be willing to tolerate it for a bit. I'm just not convinced that's going to happen. I think you just... See it double down and this type of thing proliferate. It's just tit for tat constantly in blue states and red states. And we get more angry and more polarized and more politicized on everything. And that just doesn't sound like a great healthy thing for our society. You say, well, that's unilateral disarmament. The the left gets to do it. The Democrats get to do it. But the right, we're just too polite. We're not going to do it. Well, look, Republicans won the elections in Florida and then passed these bills. Right, They're winning on that front. There's something to be said for that. Now, the Democrats down in Florida, I mean, listen to this. In Cut 25, this was the vote in the Florida House. It already passed the Senate. This was the bill stripping Disney of these special privileges. It passed overwhelmingly because Republicans are dominant in Florida. Listen to the shrieking, literally, the shrieking of the Democrats in the background during the vote. This was yesterday, Cut 25. Representative Renner moves the previous question on the bill. This motion is not debatable and requires a majority vote. All in favor say aye. All opposed, no. Show the bill. Show the motion passes. We will now proceed to call the previous question. 
The, the, the clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote on Senate Bill 4C. Have all members voted? Have all members voted? Clerk will lock the machine, announce a vote. 70 days, 38 days. Show the bill passes. 70 to 38, it passed. Those were members shrieking. Democrats sure love their big corporations sometimes. Unhinged. I'm surprised they weren't chanting, we say gay. That was their last thing they were up to there. Real adults, the Democrats down in Florida. Like, I'm not sympathetic to them at all. I'm not sympathetic to Disney on this either. I just don't think this is the way you use government power. I think the left overreaches constantly, and there's a backlash to the overreach. We talk about woke tales. People feel it. People are leaving the Democratic Party. People are fed up. This is the backlash that they have earned. I don't know the if the right way to punish them as part of the backlash is to overreach in the other direction. You might disagree. Say it's not overreach. It's a long time coming. I just disagree. And I don't like it when the Democrats do exactly this kind of thing. Of course, the press often cheers them when they do it. The press is all angry about this. DeSantis doesn't care. And I do like this about him. Whether you agree or disagree with him, he is going to stand up and fight even harder. He knows the criticism and he's just, you know, like a bull in a china shop, but a fairly disciplined one. Here he was today in Cut 28 signing the so-called Stop Woke Act which mostly deals with CRT, but he was taking some shots, some deserved shots in a lot of ways. Here's the governor earlier. Walt Disney Corporation claimed that America was founded on, quote, systemic racism and encouraged employees to complete a, quote, white privilege checklist. Under this law, that is a violation of your civil rights. And he's surrounded, by the way, by young people, a lot of them people of color, smart optics, just like he did with the abortion law that he signed last week. He knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. This is probably smart politics for him, even though I think that there could be some stuff here that bites him and the Republicans when it comes to Disney World, if it actually happens. There's sort of like, I think it's a year out before implementation. Maybe they work something out. And look, I could be wrong. Maybe corporations say, okay, this is starting to get a little dangerous. There is a cost now associated with crossing the right. Let's, uh, let's, shift more towards neutrality. Maybe that works out. Maybe I'll eat my words. I just think, again, on principle and precedent, I'm very uncomfortable with it. On the details, the particulars here, I'm uncomfortable about how this could end up maybe raising taxes on Floridians, not something that Republicans generally want to do. Last point that I'll make, though. Some people are like, well, if the Republicans do this, then, you know, just wait till the Democrats do it. You won't like it. I agree. But the problem is it's not going to all of a sudden start. They have been doing it for years on the left. So this is really a fire with fire situation. It's not like this is a new concept that all of a sudden Republicans are pioneering. They would be following in the footsteps of what the Democrats have already done. Now, I excoriated it when the Democrats were doing it, which is why I can't support it when the Republicans are. But don't tell me it hasn't been happening. The Obama administration suing nuns to force them to violate their conscience for years. Remember that? That was using the levers of government power 
to coerce people to do what the left wants in their culture war. That was from the very top. The state of Colorado persecuting that baker, like the cake maker out there. Remember that whole thing? Still active, that case. That's using the power of government to fight a culture war. Big city mayors in Chicago and Boston and New York saying Chick-fil-A not welcome in their city because it's hateful Christians or whatever. Another example of it. Blue states like California boycotting red states. No official travel. No doing business with red states. California is infamous for this. The left, these are just examples off the top of my head, by the way. The left does this constantly. Now we're seeing this experiment from the right really firing back in a very high-profile way. A lot of Republicans and conservatives say, good, it's about time. I say, be careful what you wish for, even though it does sort of appeal to me on a few levels, like on a gut level. I got a break. I'm late. But we're just getting started on The Guy Benson Show. So much to get to today. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We sometimes quote David Leonhardt, who's a New York Times reporter, and his beat is COVID. And he's often, I would argue, late to the party, but at least he's willing to tell truths to the lefty audience at the New York Times that need to be told. So he's got a Twitter thread this morning about the mask mandates, and he's pointing out, quoting experts, that one-way masking works. So people freaking out about the mandates going away on airplanes. If you want to wear one and it's a protective mask, go for it. It does protect you, right? That's your call. He also writes, the mask mandates we've had often have been the worst of all worlds. High burden, low benefit. People have been required to wear them for hours on end, causing exhaustion and polarization. Yet the mandates have included so many exceptions as to undermine their effectiveness. He also says, no wonder liberal U.S. communities, liberal U.S. communities, haven't had much less Omicron spread than conservative communities. And there's little evidence of school mask mandates working. Hong Kong, where standard masks are very popular, has just endured a horrific COVID wave. So he's kind of just whispering, guys, calm down on the masking. If you want to wear one, that's fine. This is not what you think it is. I guess now it can be said. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We're back on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thank you very much for listening. There's some breaking news. We'll call this a Fox News alert. Our colleague Bill Malugin reporting just a few hours ago this. Multiple sources tell me a Texas National Guard soldier has just drowned in the Rio Grande here in Eagle Pass. 
while trying to save migrants in the water. Texas DPS confirms and tells me a body has been recovered. I'm told a statement will be coming out soon. That was a few hours ago. Then the statement came out. Here's the update as of around 2 p.m. Eastern. We're now being told, this is via Bill Malugin, that the body recovered is not the soldier. It is possibly a migrant. Efforts are ongoing to find his or her body. The soldier never resurfaced, and the situation is being handled as a drowning. Here's the statement from the Texas Military Department. Quote, a Texas Army National Guard soldier assigned to Operation Lone Star has gone missing along the river during a mission-related incident. This was Friday, April 22nd, 2022, Eagle Pass, Texas, today. The soldier has not been found. We are aware of reports of a fatality, although those reports are inaccurate. The Texas Military Department, Texas DPS, and Border Patrol are working rapidly to find the soldier. More details will be released as they become available. So it seems fairly grim. Here's an American law enforcement official, military member, who may have, appears to have drowned, trying to save people trying to come into this country illegally. The border crisis is terrible. It hit a record number in encounters last month, 220,000 plus. And almost exactly one month from now, the Biden administration is scheduled to get rid of Title 42, which will make the problem even worse. Half of the people encountered at the border, not in counting the tens of thousands of gotaways, of course, not not including that group. These are just people who were caught. Half of them were sent away and expelled under Title 42 a tool that is being jettisoned a month from now if the Biden administration follow through. And uh, this is just a tragedy, it looks like, down here in Eagle Pass, Texas, if this drowning is confirmed. And I will remind you that we are taking this show to the border next week, Monday and Tuesday. We will be there with the Texas Department of Safety. This exact mission, Operation Lone Star, we're going to be there covering it. We were invited by the officials down there in Texas, and we want to see it for ourselves. And obviously, it looks like it's going to be a pretty dark and sad time to be there if, in fact, Texas has lost one of their own, trying to help and save others. People who are incentivizing illegal immigration through their words, through their rhetoric, they are putting lives in danger, literally. Not the way that we hear, oh, if you pass this tax reform or this other bill, people might die. People make these claims all the time. This actually is a public safety issue by definition. Joining us now is Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council. And Brandon, I'm glad you can join us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Just Initially, hear your reaction to these reports and what seems to have happened in Texas today. I can't tell you how upset. Uh, words, I can't say the right words on the, on the radio right now. Um, that would be a violation. But look, we are so ticked off right now because if we're going to have an honest conversation, we have to lay the blame at the feet of the president of the United States. He is, you, you said it right, incentivizing. Anytime we incentivize 
illegal activity, it's going to take place. And when illegal activity takes place, we have tragedies like this. If we had the proper policies, this would not this would not be happening. If we had the proper policies from this administration that would prioritize the safety and security of the American public rather than pandering to a far left political base, this wouldn't have happened. The the blame falls squarely at the feet of the president of the United States, and it is upsetting that this is taking place right now. I mean, people put themselves in grave danger. They pay a lot of money to cartels and traffickers. They believe that they can come to the country illegally and be allowed to stay. And the thing that's very angering, I think, Brandon, is that in many cases they're right, right? The the, the risks that they're taking in their minds are worth it because they're showing up here, they're getting processed, and they're getting released into the United States of America. And when Title 42 goes away, if it goes away, that magnet is only going to get a lot stronger. Yeah, and that's what—that's exactly what the cartels do. They go throughout the world. These are not just cartels that operate in Mexico. These are transnational criminal organizations. They operate throughout the world. What they do is they, they advertise their services, telling people that if they give them thousands of dollars, they'll be released into the United States, even if they are apprehended for, for committing a criminal act. That is what is incentivizing all of this. And again, it's our policies. We have the right to hold these people in custody pending an asylum or deportation proceeding. If we did that, the number of illegal immigrants that would, that would cross our borders illegally would drop exponentially. It was proven under President Trump. The micro protection protocols clearly showed that <clears throat> get rid of that magnet, the catch and release magnet, and people will stop coming. coming. That's all this administration has to do. But because they're not they, they they only talk about immigration reform which means amnesty and because they can't get amnesty they will not give us the proper tools to properly secure the border well and i mean you touched on it there one of the elements of this that has been most shocking to me and just to be clear i think for a long time a lot of people this might be surprising to some of my listeners I would describe myself or people might say, you know, guys sort of moderate on immigration. You might even call me a squish on some of this stuff. I'm like, you know what? The DREAM Act, I'm in favor of that. Let's figure out a way to get a path to legalization for a lot of these folks or whatever. You know, I'm not like a hardcore border hawk. That has not been a a central part of my conservative ideology. But when you have the president of the United States and the administration saying, putting it into official policy and memos, if you cross – the border illegally and you violate our sovereignty, you are not automatically eligible for deportation. And even if you commit an array of crimes and are convicted in our system of committing those crimes while also an illegal immigrant, you are still ineligible for deportation. That is the kind of absolute madness that is going to radicalize someone like me. And so I've sort of turned into, at least for now, a border hawk because This is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And it's going to get crazier, Brandon, with this Title 42 decision if it goes through. Uh, There are reports today I saw that the DHS secretary, Mayorkas, is privately concerned about the outcome of getting rid of Title 42. Yeah, You think? Why not be publicly concerned or or resign if you you think it's going to be a disaster? Nah, he's not going to do that. He, he he cares too much about this administration. He cares too much about the far left base. Now, when you look at the total number of people that, that we're apprehending every single day, when we apprehend 3,000 people, 
our resources are stretched to, to the breaking point. When we apprehend 5,000 people, we're in a crisis. Right now, we're apprehending 8,000 people every single day. We are conceding control of our borders to the criminal cartels. There, at times, there are stretches of 250 miles that are not being patrolled at all. Look in Yuma right now. Um, at any given time, 90% of our resources are doing administrative duties, such as processing, hospital watch, transport, um, um, security in the detention areas. You know, these are jobs that law enforcement shouldn't be doing. We should be out there patrolling the border. But because these, these criminal organizations understand that all they have to do is flood our resources, pull agents out of the field to do administrative duties, mm-hmm. then they, they can cross our higher-value products. And that includes fentanyl. Criminal aliens, aliens from special interest countries. We're dealing with people from 157 different countries. Yemen, um, Uzbekistan, Gambia, Eritrea, um, uh, Senegal, Bangladesh, uh, Iraq, Iran, you name it. Ukraine, Russia. I mean, it's it's not just, you know, Central and South America. And that's why, and look, just the point that you're making here, that's why the whole root causes thing that the vice president keeps talking about is a joke. You're not going to go fix the root causes in 157 countries. That's ridiculous. It is a joke. And any time that we invite people, and again, you, you, you talked about it, when you tell people you're not going to be deported, that's the, that is the invitation that is, uh, that is driving all of these people. It's inviting these people to come and cross our borders illegally. We, we must, for the safety and security of our own citizens, we must get the border under control. We are the most compassionate country in the world. We should be the most compassionate. We believe in legal immigration. We do not believe in chaos. We do not believe in illegality, the criminality that's taking place on our border. We don't believe in that. And if, we, and, and if we would just follow the laws, the most compassionate thing that we can do for these, for these individuals is follow the laws. If we are a country of laws, if we believe in the rule of law, Laws, we will protect people, and we won't have National Guardsmen dying trying to go in and save people that criminal cartels are forcing to cross between the ports of entry. Brandon, a week ago on this show, we had Tom Homan here. He told me two things. I want to get your reaction here on both. Number one, he said he's spoken to high-level sources on the ground, Border Patrol, ICE, etc., who have told him in their opinion, in their experience— Right now, they believe the United States of America has lost operational control of the southern border. Do you agree with that? I, I know we have. I, I work on the border. I put, in, I put on a uniform. Um, again, when you have stretches of 250 miles that are just not being patrolled, you've lost control. When you have 90 percent of your resources um, in processing and administrative duties, you've lost control. We have, in fact, right now, ceded control of our borders to criminal organizations. Last question. He also mentioned that he has never seen morale lower among border officials, people whose job it is to enforce our laws. He said morale is almost non-existent. Uh, Do you also agree with that characterization? And what would be the effect if this drowning, this horrible apparent drowning is confirmed, if it's possible, could that drive morale even lower? You know, I had Senator Haggerty from Tennessee out on the border in, in the Rio Grande Valley not too long ago, just a couple weeks ago, and took him to a uh, what we call a pre-shift briefing. It's, called, it's a muster. Um, at that pre-shift briefing, the agents are given um, their assignments, told what to expect. 
um, hopefully given intel on how to do their job better that day. In these musters, it used to be a lot of camaraderie, a lot of joking, a lot of talking, um, people happy, happy to be at work. Now, when we went there, it's just people with their heads down. We feel beaten down. We feel like we can't do the job that we're, that we're being paid to do. We want to protect the American public. We put that uniform on because we care about our fellow citizens. And right now, there's just nothing that we can do. And, and with this drowning right here, it ju- it's just going to highlight how bad things have gotten. Um, and it's going to spread around. This is, we've just never seen anything like this before. And, and things just aren't getting better. Yeah, we'll see if the president has anything to say in response to this, if the drowning is confirmed, given the fact that he was more than happy to go out and falsely accuse Border Patrol of whipping people. That was false. He never apologized for that smear. Here's someone putting their life on the line and potentially it looks like maybe dying to try to save illegal immigrants in the river. Uh, It's just it's awful. Uh, And we will be covering all of it from the border Monday and Tuesday on this show. The Guy Benson Show in the south of Texas next week. Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council here on the program. Brandon, thank you. Guy, it was good to be with you. Thank you. We'll be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show, Friday edition from New York. Here's our phone number. I'm going to ask you a question. 833-456-1300. We're talking this week about the mask mandate. Remember that poll? Did a whole monologue on this poll. Associated Press at least purporting to show that a majority of Americans, by like 30 percentage points, wanted the masks to stay on in airplanes. And only 24% of us apparently wanted the masks gone. I was dubious. I said, you know, let's see how actual people behave. And the Biden team, God bless them, have decided to try to sue and fight in court to put the masks back on. I just saw a tweet literally a minute ago from a friend who's in Washington, D.C. at DCA Reagan Airport. Blue, 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 blue place. He said it's almost completely unmasked today. At DCA in Washington. Maybe that poll actually didn't reflect reality. Just a thought. Adam, my husband, he was on a flight yesterday. He said it was heavily unmasked. Flight crew was not masked. He said he enjoyed it. He said there was a masked person next to him. Fine. No problem. You make your choice. So we're having this fight over this. Now, I'm all for doing what you want, personal choice, personal responsibility, knowing your risk factors, all of that when it comes to masking. There's a difference, as I've said a thousand times, between the government not forcing you to do something and that something being banned. There's no ban on masks. Just the forcible masking no longer, at least for now, is with us. Unless Biden gets his way, then it'll be back. But here's a hypothetical question. Maybe not so hypothetical. This type of thing probably will be playing out by a writer named Jonathan Last. Kind of right-leaning, very anti-Trump, but interesting guy, good writer in general. He posed this hypothetical, and I responded to it on Twitter. I gave my own answer on Twitter. This was the other night. This tweet got so much response. So many replies. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people weighing in on what they would do in this circumstance. I'm wondering what you would do. 
Here is the hypothetical. You're on an airplane. You sit down. You are not wearing a mask. You don't want to wear a mask. You know your risk profile. You sit down in your seat, and there's an old lady seated next to you on the plane. And she turns to you politely, and she says, Hi, I know this is annoying, but would you mind wearing a mask for the flight? I'm immunocompromised. I'm trying to be extra cautious. I know it's an inconvenience. Would you please consider doing it as a favor to a stranger? You've got an elderly woman, immunocompromised. She's being extremely polite. She recognizes that it's annoying and an inconvenience. She's asking you for this act of kindness just to put her mind at ease. What do you do? What do you say? I mean, we've gone through the science on this. We've gone through the culture war on this. We understand it's polarizing. It's no longer mandated by the government. So this isn't really about the mandate. This is about making interpersonal decisions. Does it depend on the length of the flight? Do you try to change seats? Do you wear the mask because she's being nice? Is it dependent on whether she's polite about it, right? If she's aggressive, is that different? But if she's polite, you make a different choice? Or do you say, sorry, you can wear your own mask. I'm not going to wear mine. And you just sit down and you say no. But thanks for asking. What do you do? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. The mask hypothetical on the airplane. What would you do? Your call is coming up. From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's a brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is always free of charge on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. Fox News alert. Huge sell-off on Wall Street today. The Dow closing down 981 points to 33,811. Here's our phone number at the show, 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300, and the calls are rolling in. Here's the topic. I thought this was interesting. A writer, Jonathan Last, asked the question, now that the mask mandate is gone on airplanes, trying to get a sense of where you are, where your head is at on the issue of masking and what you're willing or not willing to do, this was the hypothetical that he put out and he raised. You sit down on a plane. There's an old lady seated next to you, right next to you on the plane. She turns to you very nicely, politely, says, hi, I know this is annoying. Would you mind wearing a mask for the flight? I'm immunocompromised. I'm trying to be extra cautious. I know it's inconvenience. Would you or in, and inconvenience? Would you consider doing it as a favor to a stranger? You've finally been liberated. You finally don't have the government forcing you to do this. But there's a lady sitting next to you, politely asking you for her own peace of mind. Would you be willing to do this as a kindness to her? What do you do? What do you say? I tweeted about this, and it got so much response. I want to open up the phone lines and hear what you would do. And does it depend on anything? Are you an automatic yes? Are you an automatic no? 
something in between, 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. We're already getting more Twitter responses because we just put it out on our Twitter handle, at Guy Benson Show. Sabrina says, asking is one thing, and yes, if it's an elderly person, I would wear the mask. She says that she does wear the mask when she goes grocery shopping, but not outdoors. She said she has MS, so her immune system is already bad. So that is one vote for yes. Jay says, I would say what I have said before. I would absolutely be willing to consider it and have considered it at great length. If I put on a mask, I get a severe headache in about 30 minutes. It happens every time. Considering that, I'm going to respectfully decline. That's how Jay would respond because of a reaction Jay gets, he says, a bad headache. Then Michael responds negative. Sorry, this is no longer about the virus. The science left this a long time ago. So one yes, one no for personal reasons, and one no apparently just like across the board, shut it down. I have my own answer for my own reasons. I wonder what your answer would be if you face this situation. 833-456-1300. Just taking the temperature of this audience. Let's start out in Washington State, the Pacific Northwest. Don, you are up first on this Friday. Thank you for calling. Hi, Guy. If the lady asked nice, definitely would I, would I do it. And I'm immunocompromised, and if I was in that situation, I hope someone would do it for me. Yeah, so it's sort of a a golden rule thing for you. Here's one question, and I I tend to agree, Don. And to me, it's not about the government telling me to do something. This is me making a choice for myself and choosing to be kind to someone. That's the reason I would say yes under this scenario. But I have to admit, and I wonder what you think, Don— Let's say this is an international flight. You're going to be on this plane for 12 hours. Does that change your thinking at all? You know, if it's a two-hour flight versus a 12-hour flight. No, because they've pretty much trained us to wear these things 24-7 so far. So, <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. I'm... That makes sense. All right, Don out there in Washington, very glad to have you listening. Thank you. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Tim calling from Wyoming. Tim, welcome. Yeah, thank you. So, no, I, the answer would be no. I just wouldn't do it. The mandate's been lifted. I don't have to wear it. And I would just simply say nicely, if, if you think the, masks work, the mask works for you, then by all means, please wear it. But I'm not going to wear one. So you would just sit there next to her the whole flight and you'd be maskless. She'd be masked, presumably, and you'd be chill with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, th- th- there's no reason to have to require it or even ask me. If you are that afraid of it, then you probably shouldn't be on the flight then. All right, Tim. Thanks for your input. Appreciate it. So we've got, I I think this is interesting. I really do. 833-456-1300. Thanks for that call. 833-456-1300 and boom, the lines are just packed. Give us a call. Chris calling from Atlanta, 106.3 Extra Land. Chris, you're up. Hello, Chris. Chris going once, Chris going twice. Maybe we'll get back to Chris. 833-456-1300. Let's see here. Brenda is calling from Ohio. Brenda, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Um, I'm so glad to get on. That was quick. Uh, I think I've been a nurse for 40 years, and 
you know, worked in multiple scenarios with MRSA and staff and all the, the things. If that woman is immunocompromised and she's wearing a mask, um, but they have dispelled that mask issue as far as protecting. All right. So would you would you do it as a favor for her? Would you wear the mask yes. or would you not? Yes, I would. I would put a mask on. For, it, it's it's no better than putting a bandana over your nose. Right. It might not actually help, but it might make her feel better. So for that reason, if she asks nicely, you do it. That's your answer? Yes, I would. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think it comes down to like a politeness. There's another thing, and thanks very much for the call, Brenda. I also wonder if the hypothetical changes and she's less polite about it and more aggressive about it, does that change your inclination one way or another here? For me, like, it actually kind of might. If it's a kindly old lady being nice, asking for a favor, that's different than if someone's sort of, like, being a scold to me. Then I might be, you know, less eager to do the favor. I don't know. 833-456-1300. Tom, Chicago. Thanks for calling, Tom. Yes. You know, I have lupus myself, immune compromised, but if that was asked of me, you know, I, you know, I would just move. And, you know, surely there's someone else with a mask that will sit beside her. Okay, so you'd say, I appreciate the request. I don't want to wear a mask on the flight, but I'm going to find someone who's willing to wear the mask, and I'm just going to switch seats with them. That would be your move? That would be my move. Because you are, what, that opposed to wearing a mask? It's just, like, uncomfortable for you? It's just something you don't want to do anymore? You know, I don't, I don't think that the mask really did anything. Yeah, I mean, it's fair, especially those cloth masks. I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with that at this point, Tom, but I know a lot of people clearly feel differently. Really appreciate you listening, Tom. Thank you. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Let's see who is up next. Sharon in the great state of Colorado. My husband's in Colorado right now. Sharon, where are you in Colorado? Colorado Springs. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful city. The Broadmoor is an amazing spot. I'm jealous. Your views your views are amazing out there, Sharon. <laughs> so so what's your thought on this, the masking question? Well, what my thought on it is that they should put the people with the mask in back of the plane and the people without the mask in front of the plane. <laughs> Just sort of let people sit with their own folks so they can feel more comfortable with each other if they want to wear a mask, and then the uh, the free-facing people can sit elsewhere in the plane. That's sort of like maybe on one side of the aisle, literally, and the other side of the aisle. That could be interesting, too. Sharon, interesting thought. Thanks for the call. Jealous of Colorado. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Lots of calls to get to here. Let's see. Nicole in Texas is up next. Nicole, I'm so glad you're listening. Welcome. Thank you. So what do you think on this? I definitely agree with you. If she's polite, I would put the mask on. But it would change for me also if she was not so polite. So if she was, like, more aggressive about it, would you kind of, what, like, double down more and being like, no, I'm not going to do it. This is not my problem. This is your problem. Like, it kind of depends on, on how she actually poses the request to you. Absolutely. I think that definitely makes a difference. All right. I, you know what? I think that is fair. I think that's a completely fair point. The hypothetical that I posed in that hypothetical, she is polite. But I think you're right. For a lot of people, it would 
shift. The calculus would shift if the request were made impolitely. Thanks for the call, Nicole. 833-456-1300. You get on a plane. You sit down. There's an old woman next to you, and she says, I know it's an inconvenience. I know it's annoying. I'm immunocompromised. Please, as a favor to a stranger, would you please wear a mask for the flight? What do you do? Do you say yes? Do you say no? Do you move? Is there some other move I haven't thought of here? Now that the mask man, at least for the moment, is gone, what do you do under this scenario? And does the politeness of the request, the kindness and the tone, does that affect your judgment? More of your calls coming up after this break. 833-456-1300 on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. The bumper music is Leave Me Breathless. Perfect song on this topic. It's The Guy Benson Show. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. If you get on a flight... Old lady next to you says, I'm immunocompromised. As a favor to me, please, I know it's annoying. I know it's inconvenient. Would you please wear a mask for the flight? What do you say? You say yes? Put on the mask? You say no? Try to move? 833-456-1300. Back to the very busy phones. Casey is in upstate New York. Casey, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I would say no, um, but I would also say I understand your discomfort, but the science says that me wearing a cloth mask is not going to help you. Um, you know, if I'm sitting next to you and I'm putting my mask up and down while I'm eating, I, I'm not protecting you one bit. If you wear an appropriate N95 mask that fits well, you're protecting yourself. I, I think that's but, totally logical. So basically, she politely asks you to put it on. You politely decline. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Yes. All right. I mean, fair enough. Casey, thank you for listening. Thanks for calling. 833-456-1300. Steve is in Michigan. Steve, you're on the Guy Benson Show. Welcome. Hey, Steve. Yeah, hello. Yeah, how you doing? Good. So what would you do here? Uh, the way she acts, the way she asks, she's an elderly woman. And uh, just out of respect for my elders, I would. Okay. I, I think that's also a very good way of looking at it. I was raised that way too. Like, especially if this elderly person in particular was asking nicely, I would respect it. Even though the exact explanation we just heard from Casey in New York, I agree with basically every word that she said. I would still, I think, say yes, partially because of what you just described, Steve. Thank you for the call. 833-456-1300. Cynthia in Hawaii. Cynthia, aloha. Aloha. I would be considerate and first ask for a change in seats, but otherwise I would be considerate in that I would not face her. I would stay as far away as I could. And like Casey said, if I'm going to be eating or drinking on that, I am at one time going to be, you know, exhaling. And so I feel that logically it makes no sense. So you would not wear the mask, but your first inclination would be to try to switch seats with someone who would. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Correct. And you also in Hawaii, you basically have nothing but long flights wherever you're going. Right. So does that (laughs) does that play into it? Right. Like a short puddle jump where you're only wearing a mask for like 45 minutes versus, you know, a six hour cross country flight or something. Very true. And I have a long flight coming up, and I'm so thankful that 
hopefully we will not have to wear the mask on that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully uh, the Biden administration doesn't win in this uh, this challenge here. Safe travel, Cynthia. Thank you very much for listening. 833-456-1300. Mavid is in Arizona. Mavid, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank you. Uh, so I would politely decline for two reasons. Obviously, aside from the science, what about the other two to 300 passengers on the plane that are very close to her, as well as suggesting one of us change seats? Okay. I mean, here's the thing. I know there are some folks who cannot possibly imagine saying no to this woman, or they can't imagine saying yes. Like, why would I do that? I think we're getting an interesting cross-section here. I hope everyone will be polite no matter what. But a lot of folks are really, really tired of the masking, even if this woman is extremely nice. Again, I'm a yes. I say yes. But I get some of the reasons people are saying no. 833-456-1300. Pam is in San Francisco, California. Hi, Pam. Hi. I would absolutely say yes. I am pro- I am. I have waited for so long for mask be off. But you know what? At some point, I... Why not? There's so much yuckiness and hatred in the world that, you know, it's, I, I would, I'm sorry, they're doing some work at UCLA No, I can hear right you now. loud and clear. And look, I, I'm taking I, I, I my think... kids to a Southern California college tour. But, um, no, absolutely. I would, um, it's, it's not because I would ask, like, if it's a long flight, do you mind if I'm eating or drinking? If I take it off, I'm eating or drinking, then I put it right back up. But, you know, I mean, she would have to say yes, life? right? In this hypothetical, Pam, she seems like a reasonable, nice woman based on the hypothetical. There's no way she could deny you the ability to eat or drink. If that was part of her request, I think I would say no. That would be a bridge too far for me. If she's like, no, no eating, no drinking, uh, no thank you in that case. That's, a, I think, a completely good worldview there, Pam. Good luck to your kid in college, wherever they end up going. Pam on the Guy Benson Show. 833-456-1300. Let's see Angel calling from the Buckeye State of Ohio. Angel, what do you make of this? I would have to say no. Why? I'm just fed up with the whole thing. Like, we never wore masks for flu and anything ever before. If you feel the need that you need to be protected, by all means wear the mask. I would not judge you for that. But don't ask me to anymore. All right. Fair. Angel, thank you. 833-456-1300. Kevin, Georgia, you're up. Yeah, I think I would have to wear the mask uh, or wouldn't have to, but I would uh, just out of uh, decency. I, you know, I can appreciate the other views. I certainly do. But you don't have example friends that are alcoholics. I don't drink alcohol around them. Mm-hmm. Just if it makes them feel better or it, it gives them peace of mind, uh, it's an easy thing to do. And, um, you know, I may have a conversation about why it doesn't work, but I would still certainly if it was going to make somebody you know uh, feel better, I would do it. I think that example, the drinking example, is really interesting. And to me, this comes down to sort of like courtesy and kindness, which is why, again, if this person were, let's say, rude or aggressive, it might shape my thinking. But if she's very nice, then I guess, you know, I'm cool with it. Very quickly, Jennifer in Atlanta, listening on 106.3 Extra. Jennifer, you're on the Guy Benson Show. Quickly. Absolutely not. And I'm not trying to be cold-hearted by any means, but we all know the science behind the mask. And if we don't say no, 
this will continue on and on for years. Yeah, and there's a lot of people, a lot of people, Jennifer, feel exactly that same way. Interesting. I mean, across the board answers here. Great calls, everyone. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. Shifting to politics and Josh Krasauer when we return. From Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Halfway through this Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show from New York City and the worldwide headquarters of Fox News. Thank you very much for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast always free. Cat Timf coming up in the happy hour. That'll be fun. Fridays with Cat. That is upcoming. With us now is Josh Krasauer, politics editor at National Journal and a Fox News radio political analyst. Josh, welcome back to the show. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Guy. Great to be back on the show. I just want to get your perspective on this story that is percolating involving Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, and I guess some recordings of stuff that he had said. He denied that he said it about Donald Trump around January 6th, and the recordings have come out. He's sort of putting out statements attacking the press, but it seems like maybe he wasn't fully forthcoming about some of the things that he was saying to people in private around that time uh, after the election of 2020. What's your read on what is going down here? What are the big takeaways for you? Well, I don't know if things are going down now, but it ex- the whole episode back in January exposes how so many Republicans – say things privately, you know, to friends, colleagues, members of Congress, and say the opposite publicly. And Kevin McCarthy was under the belief, right right in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, that Trump had lost a lot of public support within the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell was even more aggressive and even more decisive at that same time. In fact, I, I, I had some reporting that I wrote about in January that there were, you know, over a dozen Republican senators that were openly considering it and voting for impeachment. It only was six in the in the grand scheme of things, but there were there was, you know, a possibility that, that Trump could have gotten impeached at that time. And then soon thereafter they did some polling. They looked at the the, the, the public support of Trump still in the Republican Party was very high and they ended up, you know, cutting cut, you know, doing a total 180. Lindsey Graham may have been the most prominent uh, Republican who, you know, said he had enough of Trump on the on the Senate floor, and then ended up scurrying back in his favor days later. So, you know, this is this is a tape, a little document from that period of time. It's fascinating to listen to. I, I don't think it has. A, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact on Kevin McCarthy's ability to be Speaker to win, you know, a big majority in the House in the midterm elections. I don't think a lot of voters are paying attention to this inside baseball in Washington. But you know, this is this is, this is an episode of the larger challenge that Republicans have faced for the last five years, which is how they relate to Donald Trump, how they try to, you know appease essentially a lot of voters who are very, very pro-Trump within the party, right? but reconcile that with their own personal opinions, which are much different. Yeah, and I guess McCarthy had said back then that he wished certain members in his caucus would have their Twitter accounts suspended or removed. He denied saying that. I guess it's on tape. He said around January 6th, either that day or the next day, that he was going to urge Trump to resign the presidency. Obviously, that never happened. And he was saying, oh, no, these are false things from the New York Times, and then out comes the recording. And so 
Definitely not a great look for him. Perhaps just a D.C. blip. I know some of the other networks who are very invested in Republican-on-Republican feuding, they are running with this and really enjoying it, certainly. But I tend to agree with you that a lot of voters don't really care. I mean, they're looking at what's happening in this country now. They're looking at inflation. They're looking at the economy. They're looking at the border. The list goes on. And Republicans are saying, hey, we don't control anything in this town right now. Democrats control everything. They have the power. Look how things are going. And there's a reason why I think Democrats are extremely nervous about what's coming in November. You talked, Josh, there about the possibility of a big majority, potentially for the GOP in the House, at least. We saw this week Larry Sabato. He's gone pretty aggressively left in his online presence recently, but his organization still does these handicapping analyses of various races in the House and the Senate and governorships. They made 11 changes this week in House races in terms of shifting their projection of how they're rating a certain race. They did that 11 times this week, all on House races, all 11, 11 out of 11 were moves toward the Republicans. I think that really speaks volumes about the trajectory of this environment. I know we're still, what, seven months out, but there's a lot of writing on the wall right now. Yeah, you're going to see a lot more movement in the coming months in races that look pretty safe for Democrats getting moved into that toss-up category. In fact, it wasn't just Sabato's crystal ball, but the political report uh, also moved some of the biggest races into toss-up territory, including Abigail Spanberger in Virginia, Susie Lee in Nevada. These are races that look pretty, pretty uh, at one point in pretty good shape for Democrats. They're looking much more precarious at this point in time. And, you know, look, I, I think you, the, I, I've talked to some Republicans who have just gotten out of the field in some of these pretty Democratic seats with polling. And, you know, what they're seeing is consistent with what Biden's own pollster said this week, which is that this is the best political environment that they've seen for Republicans, even going back to 1994 and the Republican Revolution. And things could change. Wait, hold on. More so than 2010? More so than 2010, more so um, than, than, than – or similar, if not more so than, than the mid-'90s. You're, 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 in, in those elections – and 2010 is actually a really interesting parallel because a lot of the seats that Republicans picked up in 2010 were actually conservative seats or seats that had, had sort of some old-school conservative character that ended up just flipping uh, and, and, and becoming Republican strongholds in, in, in the future. The seats that, that Republicans are contesting – Right now, there are fewer competitive seats on paper on the map, but the environment is so good right now for Republicans. We're talking about seats that look pretty solidly blue that are now competitive, that are now surprisingly in play. These are seats that Biden won by double digits that are now toss-up type races. So that's how good – keep in mind, in 2010, Republicans were shut out of everything. They had a very small minor, minority of seats in the House. Uh, by 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 big margin, and Republicans start out with a much stronger position heading into the 2022 midterms, and they still could gain 25, 30, 35 seats, which would be a pretty pretty huge sum uh, given that context. Let's talk about the Senate side because that's very interesting to me. I actually mentioned this on TV last night. There are two Democratic senators, Josh, in my mind, who have shown and exhibited any meaningful independence from the Democratic Party brand, leadership, Biden, Schumer, etc. That would be Joe Manchin. That would be Kirsten Sinema. Neither of them are up this year. This is not their cycle. 
every single Democrat from a potentially vulnerable seat are all, you know, different and individuals and have their own records or whatever. But in some ways, they're all kind of just generic Democrats in terms of their voting record. And I wonder, I asked Tom Bevan about this on Kennedy last night. Does that make it easier for the Republicans to run against them in an environment where the generic ballot isn't great and Biden's even worse? Just to say these are Biden Democrats. These are rubber stamps. There's not really a lot that these senators can point to saying, no, no, I'm a maverick. I'm an independent. You know me for these reasons. They actually have been basically given Schumer and Biden everything that they want. Yeah, I mean, look, you can look at it two different ways. Mark Kelly in Arizona, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, they just got elected in 2021, 2020, in the last election. And so so they, they don't have a, a lot of time in the Senate. They, have, they haven't built up huge brands back home. But they also have sort of larger-than-life profiles in many ways in their states, with uh, Kelly being the, the husband of Gabby Giffords and an astronaut and Warnock being a very famous preacher at one of the biggest churches in the state of Georgia. So they have sort of interesting profiles. You know, well, uh, Cortez Masto in Nevada, very generic, not very well-known in Nevada. I think uh, Hassan. Uh, she she does have a profile as a former governor, but she's also facing some tough numbers in New Hampshire. The biggest challenge, though, I mean, the, the thing that makes the House different than the Senate is that there are some really rough Republican primaries coming up. And, right. and the lack of A-list candidates in, in the Senate versus the House is, is a big is a big. Uh, and by the way, just as, as an editorial comment that I'm making myself, part of the reason that there aren't more A-list nominees or candidates or recruits by the Republican Party is because some of them have just been scared off by Donald Trump, who's attacked them publicly. So that's in Arizona. That's arguably in New Hampshire. Some people who could make these races potentially like something close to a slam dunk, they have decided not to go up against that whole drama. And so it's going to fall to someone else. That doesn't mean that whoever ends up getting nominated in Arizona or in, you know, New Hampshire, you name it, can't win. I think that in this type of environment, a lot of different people could potentially win. But things are perhaps going to be harder than they otherwise would be. Does that sound about right? That That's exactly right, Guy, that the environment is so good. And these are states that are, you know, battleground states. So the, we're, we're talking about house seats that are very blue possibly being in play. These are much more competitive states. And in theory, they should be very winnable for Republicans. But, you know, let's look at Arizona, for example. Everything you said applies to that Senate race in spades. Uh, Doug Ducey didn't run specifically because Trump was threatening him. <laughs> he said he would not support him. He would, he would attack him if he got in the Senate race. He's attacking the, the, the most, you know, most pragmatic candidate, the attorney general that's in the race right now. One of the other candidates that's in the race who's raising a lot of money is Blake Masters, who just came out in an in an interview this week saying nice things about the Unabomber. Now, you know, maybe in this environment is is, is so good for Republicans that that kind of baggage doesn't matter. Maybe that we're looking at such a favorable Republican environment, take take away all the typical rules that, that define politics. But, you know, Masters is a guy who, if he's, he's a Peter Thiel-backed candidate, he, he's, Trump seems to be considering an endorsement of him. He's a guy that if he's the nominee in Arizona against a well-funded, you know, fairly well-liked uh, senator like Mark Kelly, even in this political environment, you could see uh, Republicans running well behind the, the national ticket. Yeah. The environment. I mean, we'll see. And, and then by the same token, Josh, 
The Democrats have potential nominees for the Senate in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, who have said some very outlandish things and have very radical lefty positions. They might be hurting themselves in some of those races with the people who are running at the front you know, of those packs. So, I mean, there's some of this effect playing out on both sides of the aisle in some really crucial high-profile Senate contests. Last word to you. It, it reminds me of the, the, the old quote from, I believe, Billy Martin when he was managing the 62 uh, Mets. Can it, or was it that's that? Well, the 62 Mets manager said, can anyone play this game? Republicans have really weak fields in some key races. Wisconsin's a big problem for Democrats. They have a, a leading candidate who's got a lot of baggage himself. There are not a lot of A-list candidates running on either side this, this time around. And, and frankly, Pennsylvania, Connor Lamb, one of the best candidates Democrats have, may not even get out of that primary. No, so, probably not, this, it looks like. Yeah, he looks like he's, he's going to lose that, that race against John Fetterman. So that, it, 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 it's an issue on both sides. Democrats aren't running because of the environment. Republicans aren't running because of Donald Trump. And that's leaving a lot of good candidates uh, that might, might be future senators on, on the sidelines in this, in this otherwise favorable environment for Republicans. Well, we're watching it. And watching it most closely of all is Josh Crossauer, who we talk to on a regular basis. He's politics editor at National Journal and a Fox News radio political analyst. Josh, appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Guy. We'll talk soon. And we'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We are back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Can you believe it? Another staff member leaving the office of the vice president. I know. So rare. They run such a tight ship over there. No one ever leaves. There's just uh, t- like tight-knit loyalty is what she's known for among her staff. What is this, like number seven or eight in a high-profile way taking off? I've lost count. And these aren't like minor staffers who are answering you know telephones in the office. These are higher-ranking people. In this case, it's the chief of staff. A woman named Tina Flournoy is departing as the chief to the vice president. It's a steady stream, just an exodus. The churn, the revolving door in that office is really remarkable. You see it in politics, not usually like this, unless it's associated with very difficult personalities. And then it's not that unusual. Here's another thing that I was thinking about the other day. How many massive failures have there been? We actually were discussing this a little bit on the air yesterday with Larry Kudlow. Under this administration, under Team Biden, how many times has there been a crisis or a debacle or a fiasco or a giant screw up and almost no one ever gets fired or ever leaves as a consequence? There's no consequence. There's no accountability. The only elements of this administration where people actually leave it seems to be voluntary and it seems to be coming out of the vice president's office so like another one bites the dust here chief of staff tina flournoy out under vice president harris and we read that story i think it was politico washington post also had a similar version of it with people leaking all over the place seems like the white house is leaking all over the place damaging harris 
talking about how this has been a pattern her entire career. It's not like she had deep loyalty and staffs with very little turnover and a lot of people who've loved working with her back in her days in California and then in the U.S. Senate and then in her campaign for president, which didn't last long. And then all of a sudden things changed once she became vice president. No, this has been a staple. This has been a feature of her leadership for her entire public career. And there's an inescapable conclusion about who the problem is. Like, oh, who's the drama? Is it all of the people who come and go giving up powerful positions? Or is it the principal? Is it the woman in the middle of all of it? The woman at the top, as a matter of fact, in these offices. I think we have our answer. And I think it's pretty unequivocal. And I really do hope that she's going to end up as their front runner for the presidency next time on the other side. Because I'm not sure this is an electable person. She couldn't even get to Iowa in the Democratic primaries. She can talk about how all of the criticisms really come down to sexism and racism and all of that. It didn't stop Barack Obama from getting elected twice. Didn't stop Hillary Clinton from becoming the nominee. Right? If you're going to talk about racism and then sexism. It's like she's indicting her own party. Her own party's base and voters were so uninterested in her as a presidential candidate in 2020 leading up to that, that she didn't get to the caucuses in Iowa. And now she's presiding over this chaotic, hectic, sometimes embarrassing, often hilarious vice presidency. Did you hear this clip? I think she was talking to the Space Force about space. Uh, Cut 23. Space is exciting. Oh, yes. It spurs our imagination. Yes. And it forces us to ask big questions. Space, it affects us all, Mm. and it connects us all. Mm, mm -hmm, mm. Wise words. Look, someone wrote the speech for her. It was one little snippet of it. Maybe she was more substantive elsewhere. It's just like the tone. Remember when she talked to those little kids who turned out to be actors on camera, and she seemed like she might be, shall we say, high on life in that clip? Similar vibes here. In a very different kind of setting. Oh, good times. It's like a content machine for us. There's that. Let's see who the replacement of the replacement of the chief of staff will be. Place your bets now. My bet is that Cat Temp will be here next during our happy hour. It's Fridays with Cat straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on a Friday. On the Guy Benson Show from New York, thank you for listening. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website, the podcast, free every day on demand and just growing like crazy. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. GuyBensonShow.com, also growing like crazy, the long drink, which sponsors the happy hour. Huge expansion coming soon. They've been expanding the last few months in particular. You ain't seen nothing yet. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can see where they're already sold near you. 
or order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly, Cat. Sure. If you want to have a boring time. Cat Tim is my <laughs> guest here in the happy hour. Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld on FNC every night at 11 p.m. I was on this week. Mm-hmm. Co-host of the Tyrus and Tim podcast. I was on Tuesday night on your show and Greg, and there was this running joke, but not really a joke, about one of your colleagues stuck in an elevator. Yeah. And he was stuck for, what, two and a half hours? Two and a half hours, and he hyperextended his knees because the elevator dropped. Oh, so he did get hurt. Yeah, and he, like, he's fine. Like, his knees hurt. But he How had to, far did it drop? Enough for, like, he had to go to Bellevue so that they could x-ray his knees and make sure that it was not, like, more serious. Nightmare. Yes. Absolute literally. Nightmare. Nightmare. And, like, if that would have been me, like, like I don't know. Like, I would have not have handled it as well. I think, to me, because this is a tall building. Yeah. To me, the dropping part is the nightmare, not necessarily being stuck for a few hours. Like, you know you're going to get out. If you're stuck in an elevator and someone's made contact with you, you're yeah. going to get out, even if it takes two or three hours. I wouldn't like that. You're no, not rooting for not this to happen. Not the best two or three hours. But if the, like, Tower of Terror style drop happens and you're now injured and you're waiting, that is a nightmare. Yeah, he did. Said, he kind of take it in stride. Is he okay? Yeah, he did. But he said, like, as it was dropping, he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna die," <laughs> for those couple seconds before it stops because you feel it drop. Like that's, like he thought he was going to die, like Final Destination style, but for a few seconds. But nonetheless, and then we're just joking about it for right. an hour, right, 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 right. and then so this is what happens. We're making all these jokes. Every segment, there's a joke. Greg yeah. calls his phone and yeah. he plays the voicemail on speaker, and we're all sort of having some fun with it. Then we leave the studio. Yeah, we I walk, walk out, out and there's, there's paramedics. A, and a stretcher. A stretcher. You can <laughs> see the lights like from the ambulances. The blood drained from Greg's face where he was like, oh, was that? Should I have not? <laughs> like, do we have to go back and is, is G- redo, redo the, the show? whole show? Because yeah. you can't edit that out. No, because it was like the gene is stuck in the elevator episode. Like, that's what it was. That's it what will, it became. It'll be like a classic Seinfeld episode. Right. right? It's like, oh, that one that people talk about. Right. The gene stuck in yes. an elevator episode. On a happier note, he's fine. He's fine. That's good. And you guys are ramping up for the new studio yes. with the audience back. Tell us, I haven't seen the studio yet, but I have heard rumblings that it is awesome. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. It looks like a little mini NYC in there. We have actual risers, uh, not folding chairs for people to sit. We're so excited to have the so audience a real, back. So a real mm-hmm. big audience. Yeah. My audience was, I say my, because it was just my team, was our yeah. audience on Tuesday, right. three of us. Mm-hmm. And this will be much bigger, right? Closer to 100 people? Yeah. And it's it's great because, I mean, people come to see the show. We, you know, we'll have people booked out in advance to come see it. And because it's like we do get like a wait list, this and that. Because we had such a short, you know, we had to have it so small because of COVID and then also because of, well, the real reason for a while in that other studio while they were building this was the fire code. <laughs> you can't have that many people in there. So that's not the situation there. So, gosh, it's been it's been since last winter that we've had a, an audience not counting Dallas because right. we had – because of the Omicron surge, we had no audience. And then the Dallas shows then, went away, a few of them, right, yeah, because of the war. There's only two Dallas shows that actually aired. I know that – I think some of those things have gotten put together for, like, holidays and stuff like that. Those will actually eventually be on TV. But, yeah, and then we filmed with those huge audience, like hundreds of people in Dallas. And then we – you know, it's the war, so we come back. We're not going to have an, a live audience then because we were off the air for a few weeks. 
So it's we haven't had an audience here in New York since winter. Of and people can sign up. They're free, right? People yeah, can sign up for tickets. the free tickets. Tickets are free. Mm-hmm. You can go, I guess, to foxnews.com. Yeah, I forget. There's an address, whatever. They it's, put it up on, on the our, screen. It's on our Twitter. It's on the yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, so on the screen. That's how you go and you get your tickets to be in the live studio audience yep. for these tapings starting next month, right? Starting May second. May second yep. in this gleaming, beautiful, huge new studio. It's going to be amazing. We're really so, excited. And also, like the energy. We had a very fun show on Tuesday. Yes. There were some very good jokes yes. that were made, and they hit in the room, and hopefully they hit at home. There's something special about having like a funny, good moment and hearing just a big ripple of laughter. And the energy room. that you get from the audience is totally. amazing, too, especially you know with my stand-up background and all that. It's something that I prefer because it, it is a different show when there's no audience. I mean, there's a lot more. I guess there is more crosstalk. It's more like giggling amongst ourselves a lot. But with the audience, it's a different energy. And I know a lot of people you see so like social media, they miss the audience um, and just the energy that that brings – and I'm I'm really excited. Yep. It's it's and if you know anyone listening, come come check it out. I know everyone has a good time. I think when they come see the show, and you feel like you have to try harder. And there's an audience <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, like you know that there's in the back of your mind, there's like oh, close to two million people probably watching this, right. but. Weirdly, you're focused on the several dozen people in your physical presence. Right, which is why it doesn't really make sense because there's always an audience because, you know, it's on TV. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, you feel like you have to be like, okay, you know, I'm performing for these people. Even though you're performing every time you do television, um, it's it's going to be great. I'm excited. Have you been following the Johnny Depp Ada, Because I have not. Really? How do you? How? I don't care at all. doesn't matter. You don't got to care. I mean, do you have a phone? I do. do you, uh, you you work in a, in a news <laughs> right office, here. right? Yeah, like, like they've had you, it on it's the... It's unavoidable. Yeah, except maybe I've been actively avoiding it. Like we did a segment on it. I was filling in for Kennedy this week where the whole premise was, I don't care. Why should I care? And we had a lawyer on who was explaining why it was actually a very juicy trial. And I will admit some of the stuff I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that is uh, fairly dramatic. There was something involving... Poop. That yep, that I is true. Where you're going? Yeah. So, w- what was the excrement-related uh, plot line to the Johnny Depp trial? Well, she or someone associated with her, one of her friends, took a dump in their bed, and he was told he couldn't go to the apartment because she or one of her friends had taken a dump in their bed. And there are photos. An exhibit in the Wait, trial showed it? is a photo of the dump. Wow. Yeah. And, and you're just living for this. I, I am because. I like nothing makes and I tweeted this. I've, I've talked about this. I'm going to continue to talk about this. Nothing makes you feel more sane than, than that? seeing a story about revenge pooping. Right. Because You're like I might be a mess. Where but- everyone's like, oh, cat's so wacky. Cat's so crazy. Whatever. I make perfect sense to myself. But that's what people have said. And it's like, OK, I not only have I never revenge pooped, <laughs> I, I've never considered it. I've never been upset with somebody, romantic partner or otherwise, and thought, I know what I'm going to do, or even, boy, I wish I could, or even, wouldn't it be crazy if I did? The thought just didn't ever pop up. So Has it now? Now no, that you've seen no, this no. behavior demonstrated No, by I use a toilet. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's and, good and of Again, you. I didn't think that was a brag, but now it is. <laughs> that hasn't been a brag since I was like... 
a toddler. Humble brag. You're like, guess who uses a toilet? Once again, it's a brag. I am am one of those chill girls, those easygoing chill girls, and I didn't know. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. Huge week for me. Do you like how I was able to make it about me? Yeah, I was hoping you would, (laughs) and you did. Because uh, you're always, I'm unparalleled in making it about me. You're always number one. Oh, I get it, and that's a little bathroom humor. Yep, yep, that's what that was. Yep. Are you rooting for him in this trial? Do you think that he's right? Like, who's lying here? Ugh. I mean, they were both awful to each other. It seems like you know what I mean. And like, I think that she did this article of like, you know, I'm this victim of these things. I don't think we're ever really going to know who, like, who was worse, who was this, who was that. It's, a, But I think he was just kind of like, you know what? You're bringing me down. You're coming with me, baby. Like, I really think that's – because why else would you air all this stuff out? I mean, that that's – I think that could be the only reason. I've seen some tweets and people saying, like, oh, well, his career is done. He's done. He'll never work again. Do you think that's true? I think like- it has been, right? Like, especially if you listen to some of the testimony, I think what they're trying to do – is what Amber's lawyers are trying to do is like, okay, you brought up the drug stuff. Let me ask about this drug stuff. Maybe nobody wanted you on their movie because you were blasted all the time. You know, I think, mm. I don't think we'll ever really truly know. Um, I know the, Captain Sparrow is uh, napping. Yeah, He's method napping. acting. A lot of method acting apparently <laughs> going on there. Okay, so that's the number one story in the world in your mind at the moment. Uh, I mean, it's on like, interest level. It's like it's blown out, outnumbered, like, every day this week. At, like, 12 o'clock, it's like, all right, we're going to watch Don, Johnny Depp talk about his benders. And then, oh, like, the the, the poop, like, I just, I, I don't know. If an exhibit in a trial is human feces, I'm, I always am going to want to know more. Yeah, like, go on. And I'm like, go on. <laughs> I want to shift to a very different topic. This is a soundbite. I don't know if I've ever been more put off by this man over the last two years than I was by this soundbite yesterday. Cut 22. Just listen. Both surprised and disappointed because those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. And for a court to come in, and if you look at the the rationale for that, it really is not particularly firm. And we are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. His Majesty, Dr. Anthony yeah. Fauci, who says, I am the science, and, and apparently now, yeah. I am the law. I am the law, yeah. it's it, That was also jo- Joy Behar talking about, like, they she didn't understand that courts don't make legislation. <laughs> like, we have these separate but equal branches of government for a reason. I mean, they... they they don't just like teach and it Fauci that doesn't once represent in any school. of them, by the way. Right. Low key, no. He's just like the scientist guy. Right. You know, and it's like you can offer your opinion, but I, I hate others saying, you know, that, that they've taken this power away from the CDC. No, 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 no. They're stopping the CDC from exercising power that it never had in the first place. There's a huge, th- that is the job of the courts. And yes. there's a huge difference between those Judicial things. review. But he's like, oh, yeah. there's this special carve out in the Constitution where I guess. Special, special CDC scientists don't get accountability from anyone, including judges. I guess that's his interpretation of how things work in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the court rulings don't apply to Anthony Fauci. And look, he had his, you know, moment. Must have been a great COVID. It was a really tough, tough few years, like peak pandemic for everybody. 
except for Anthony Fauci. I mean, he, he was a like he was the new Beyonce. He was on TV all wow. day long. I mean, he was. People were saying like Fauci put a mask for the hottest, on it. for the hottest for the hottest uh, sexiest man alive. Because obviously, in this country, we can't like appreciate anything without sexualizing it. But do you like? Do you remember that? Like that. He was Fauci a star. sexual. Fauci yeah. sexual was a thing people were saying. And, you know, now it's all, you know, then it was the, you know, Ukraine was the story. And now it's all Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It's, it's like his star has faded a little bit as the pandemic has. And uh, the guy loved being on TV. I really think he loved being on TV. I'm he surprised he's not on Cameo. Well, that's next. Yeah. That's the next stage of his career. Yeah. But this appearance, by the way, the clip we just played, that was from CNN+. Plus. R.I.P. in peace. That is that is wild. I mean, it's wild how not wild it is. Like anybody could have told you that. So there's this TV channel. Like nobody's watching it. All right, CNN free. CNN free. No one's watching it. So we're gonna charge more for more of something. No one's CNN watching. CNN pay. But this is what happens when people don't understand supply and demand. I guess. Which uh, they struggle with over Let, there. Yeah, let's ov- let's further oversaturate this market that is already oversaturated. Was not a good move. And turns out it wasn't a good move. You might even say they pooped the bed with this one. They sure did. That's the perfect way to end this. We're coming full circle. Fridays with Cat. Cat Timpf on the Guy Benson show. What was that? Was I, that? Um, I meowed. You meowed at us? I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm good. I spent a lot of time with the cats. She's a chill girl, folks. Remember that. Exactly. She, hey, I never pooped in anybody's bed. <laughs> good, to, good to see you, Kat. Uh, and we'll have you back maybe. Uh, oh, good luck on Gutfeld tonight, 11 p.m. Eastern. You can never do without me. Thank Fox. you. I don't, I don't need luck. I'm a, I'm a star. And with that, we will step aside and come right back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Thank you for listening. I saw this tweet earlier in the week, and it was asking, is there an athlete that you associate in your mind with a specific moment, like a sports moment where that is what you exclusively basically associate that athlete with? And as a sports fan... I was like, okay, that's an interesting question. Is there an athlete who is inextricably tied to one moment in time? And, Christine, you had an answer, Olympics-related. I sure did. Picture it. Atlanta, 1996. The Olympics, the gymnast, the Americans, they were down to the end. It was the final night. They needed one win from Kerry Strug. Her first vault, not so great. Hurt herself. Got back up. Second vault, landed it on one leg. And then Bella Caroli, remember? The big, the, the coach of the U.S. gymnastics team for years and years, had to pick her up off the mat and carry her. And she was waving and crying at the same time. But they got the gold. Big moment. That right then is when I said, I'm going to be an Olympic gymnast. No, you were going to be a competitive aerobics athlete, which you actually had been years prior. Let's get the timeline right. But, yes, good answer. I can picture it. You can, like, 
Close your eyes and picture that short hair, right? The whole the whole look for the home crowd. USA gets the gold. Dan. I'm going to take you back to 1986. Game six, World Series. Mm. Ground ball. Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner. Gets by Buckner. Right through his legs. He never lived it down. Poor guy. Just uh, always tied to that moment. It's, it's Bill bleeping Buckner and he had the, in Boston. He had, he had the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Did you ever see that? I didn't. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Right through the wickets. Yeah. And, like, you could see whoever was coming around to score just, like, grabbing his helmet. He could not believe this happened. At Shea, the place is going crazy. Unbelievable. I was one, but I've seen that clip a hundred times. That wasn't to win the World Series, though, right? That was to get it to Game 7, which the Mets then won. Correct. Oh, and the curse continued at the time for the Red Sox. Of course, they broke it a number of years later. They had to wait a long time still after that. Oh, that was a big one in Queens. So I was thinking, how would I answer this question? An athlete who is forever associated with a moment. And my answer, I think, is O.J. Simpson. No further commentary necessary. I think we all know what moment I'm talking about. Was it on the gridiron? Uh, No. It was in Southern California. 1994-ish. Gotta run. The Guy Benson Show continues after this. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Happy hour, Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thanks for listening. Earlier today in the program, I had a few more thoughts on this whole Florida controversy involving the governor and the government down there and Disney and how I feel about it, how conservatives ought to feel about it, all the controversy swirling. Here are some of those thoughts. The Republicans in Florida, the GOP, which controls both chambers and the legislature in Tallahassee and, of course, the governorship with Ron DeSantis, they've responded by saying, "Okay, Disney, if you're going to get very outspoken on this and you're going to decide to weigh into our politics and to our culture wars in this state and criticize the government, well, there's some privileges that we in the government have extended to you for many years. Uh, We're going to take those privileges away now. See how you like it. Now, I am a supporter of Governor DeSantis. I think overall he's done a very good job in Florida. I think that the Republicans already won this fight. Right. They passed the bill. It is now law. Disney went crazy. And guess what? They failed. They couldn't stop the law. They're not going to be able to repeal it. Certainly not anytime soon. In fact, the law is popular in the country and in the state of Florida based on multiple polls. There are concerns that I personally have about it. But the central area where all the fighting was about K through three instruction or indoctrination on gender and sexual identity, that ban on that type of curricula for that age group is widely, broadly popular with the American people, as it should be. That stuff does not need to be taught to six and seven-year-olds. It just doesn't. That's what the law said. The left went crazy. They picked the fight. Disney picked a side in the fight, and they lost. And I guess what the decision has been from DeSantis and the Republicans in the state is, all right, we've had enough. Woke corporations, and we saw this in Georgia, we've seen this elsewhere, woke corporations casting their lot with the left and coming after the elected governments of states, they feel like they can just sort of do whatever they want. They can respond to the left. They don't have to worry about the right at all. They'll ultimately be just fine. 
and they're going to side with the left because there's a high cost culturally if you don't do that. And the Republicans in Florida said, okay, we want to impose a significant cost if you do. It's a counterweight. Now, this is, in my book, bullying. They're going to try to bully Disney toward neutrality or something back toward the middle. All right, you're scared of your woke employees. You're scared of the left-wing activists. Well, maybe you should be scared of the people elected in Florida who are very likely about to get reelected, probably pretty strongly by the standards in that state. That is the type of bullying that a lot of conservatives are supportive of now, given the context. I get it on a visceral level. I understand the appeal, making an example of Disney. And you've heard it on this show. I have just been beating away at Disney, flogging Disney for well over a year on this stuff. They are some of the worst hypocrites on wokeness anywhere. They're right up there with Nike and the NBA. And I've said it over and over again. Quiet Wyatt, one of our producers, is a big Disney guy. To his chagrin, I have just taken out the, you know, the whip and just bang, bang on Disney constantly because they deserve it. Whatever you think of the law down in Florida, for them to be up on a high horse preening about this, indignant about this law, when they make money, lots of money, in countries where homosexuality is illegal— where they have nothing to say about the genocide in China, where they make a bunch of money and actually censor their own movies for the censors in China and thank the Chinese Communist Party for letting them film in the province of China where there's a genocide happening. I have absolutely zero interest in hearing from Disney about human dignity or whatever. It is all a big charade for a specific, narrow domestic audience. And now there's another domestic audience that Disney needs to worry about a big pounding headache called Ron DeSantis for that whole monologue and all of today's show in its entirety on demand for free. Check out the podcast guy foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast that includes bonus Benson on the weekends. When we come back the home stretch, apparently producer Christine, i.e. cookie and quiet Wyatt had quite an experience in New York city last night. I don't really know the details, Apparently, it was quite something. We'll get to all of that when we come back. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on this Friday on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for being here. Almost the weekend, just a few more minutes together on The Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast always free. On demand, including bonus Benson on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I will also remind you that we are on social media at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. And we are going to now have a fun conversation with Cookie, Cookie producer Christine, who had a kooky evening in New York City with Quiet Wyatt. And and here Wyatt's Wyatt, you can come in. You can come in. It's fine. <laughs> Christine, we have a topic that we were going to discuss, but actually, we have something else for you. No! Yes, no, yes, no, yes. No, I'm yep. not doing it. Yep, sit no, down. You've got to sit down. You've got to have a seat. Christine has now... How could you do this to me? Her back is up against the wall. 
she is she has leapt out of her seat. You have to sit down. We have to explain what this is. Do we have a spoon? Yeah, we have a spoon. Okay. So quiet Wyatt. I asked him to go get me a Coke Zero, but that was a ruse. I didn't need a Coke Zero. We have a spoon and we have some soup here. For producer Christine, this is French onion soup because a few years ago on the show, I believe it was 2019, Christine and I made a bet that Hillary Clinton, my bet was Hillary Clinton would not run for president in 2020. Christine bet that she would. As we know, history proves that I was correct. This did not happen. Hillary did not run. And so Christine lost the bet. And the bet was if she lost, she was going to have to eat some French onion soup, which she hates for some very strange reason. She's gagging. She's like dry heaving. In the Yeah, it's a beautiful smell. So why didn't I collude it? We colluded today to make this happen since we were all here together. He went over to 44th Street. Was, Yo, where uh, did you even get this from? It's cafe, Do I even want to know? Cafe Une de Trois. It's been there since the 70s. It's actually a pretty nice restaurant. This is their French onion soup. It's not from some gross diner. This is a, a bona fide French restaurant here in New York City, Christine. And I know that you're not excited about this. Oh. Yeah, it's it's... <laughs> And so you lost a bet. I'm not going to have – that's a lot of soup. I'm not going to have you eat all of it. What? You have to eat some of it because you lost the bet, and then we don't have to talk about it anymore. This is this is an ambush, yes, but it's a deserved ambush that you earned by losing a bet. And we we keep our promises here on The Guy Benson Show. It's very important. So uh, how are you feeling? I feel like – okay. <clears throat> Put it on, Christine. So this happened – this works when I get pulled over. If I start crying, nope. If if I really get upset, nope. It's a lie. <laughs> but officer, <laughs> like, uh, ma'am, you're going a hundred. But officer, you're like my... the other Hot Wheels in the building. <laughs> okay, so you have to eat. I would say you get three spoonfuls, and you're and it, you're done. You know, this is not good radio. It is good radio. It's just good for the soul. It's chicken soup for the soul, but French onion soup style. I feel like you did this for two purposes. One, because now I'm breaking up with all of you as my best friends. Now oh, I'm going to go find new oh best no. friends. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> don't do that. What's the, the other lies. reason? What's the other reason? All the lies and the deceit. There was very little deceit. I said, go get a Coke Zero, and he was just getting soup that he had gotten earlier. I did slip him a 20 for his trouble. What if, I, the soup. What if I get very, very sick from it? You won't. Mm. And there's a garbage can right here. <laughs> okay. So, All right. I, yeah. I, so I, I tried ice cream on the air. This is your sort of your version. Oh, it smells so bad. Well, I think we should probably get a photo of this just to prove that this is happening. Oh. Yeah, get a nice piece of that bread. Oh, that's the part that's the worst. It's soaked in bread it's, in this terrible broth. Yeah. So this is the French onion soup oh. she had mentioned. Go, Yeah, go for it. Get a little bit of the, uh, the broth. And the cheese. Some of the cheese. Oh, the cheese is drippy. It looks good. All right, here comes bite number one. Go for it, Christine. And there it is. Mm, she oh. looks She looks miserable. She has both hands over her mouth with a paper towel. And you can't, like, store it in the side of your mouth, in, like, your cheek. That's what I used to do as a no, kid. You can't do it. Can I spit it out? You cannot. You have to eat it. That's it. That is so awful. Okay, I'm going to allow one more broth only. Broth only, and then you're done. So I don't have to eat the bread anymore. That's it. Just one more bite, and it's broth only. She keeps just shooting daggers at Wyatt at the other side of the studio. Like, how could you? How could you? 
Well, I mean, you shouldn't make bets that you're not willing to pay up on. Okay, here we can slurp it a little bit for the radio. See? Okay, yeah, you. Yes, this little. Yeah, there it is. Okay, you're done. The bet has officially. Can we get a Fox News alert? Actually, after years, after years of this storyline on this damn show, producer Christine has had her French onion soup. She didn't know this was coming. No. You. Oh. The aftertaste is just t- how can you people out there like this? I think it's a pretty good soup. My issue is it's often too hot and it burns the roof of your mouth. That's my biggest complaint. Pizza, a pineapple on pizza is, I would say, a hundred times better than that. A hundred. I, I don't think so. And see, my, my biggest beef with the soup is it will scald the roof of your mouth if you eat it too soon. But if you wait too long to let it cool down, then the melted cheese gets kind of gummy and is no longer enjoyable. So there's a very small window of time where you can enjoy a French onion soup, as producer Christine has just done here on the radio for all of us during the home stretch. You're pointing at the boys like you're going to, oh, you're doing the throat slit gesture. Just remember, where's Carousel right now? <laughs> I'm officially scared. Uh-oh. Wow. Yeah, that's like, we all know what that threat means. She's uh, she's still down in Staten Island somewhere in a in a garbage dump. Can I just say one thing about Carousel? Uh, our old intern Caroline Wyatt and I went out to dinner last night, and she didn't know the story. She too does not believe. She said, "Christine, it's not believable that Carousel went with an Amish family." Yeah, thank you. We all it's just not a believable story. We know what happened to her. R.I.P. She she's up in the big CNN Plus corral in the sky. <laughs> That's where Carousel is these days. Are you still shell-shocked that I'm we did this to you? in utter shock. And I also have to find new friends. So this is going to be a very busy weekend for well, me. And you also have to find a new therapist, apparently, because your new therapist who you thought was, like, working out well has ghosted you. Roy. So, yes. So what happened was Sandy was my old therapist. Mm-hmm. And Sandy and I just did not see eye to eye on things. Like, give one example if you're willing. Like, anything I said, she was just, like, so negative about. And also, after, I would say, six months, she still kept calling me Christina. I felt like she should know my name. Okay. Don't you think? And That's either that's either unprofessional or, like, very passive aggressive, <laughs> where she knows what your name is and she's getting it wrong on purpose. Every day. Every uh, time I saw her or okay. talked to her. Okay, so you're like, all right, enough Superstorm Sandy. We're done. Right, we're done. And then I was thinking maybe I need a man because I've always had ther- uh, women therapists. Well, except for me. Right? Correct, I'm correct. the uncompensated, unlicensed therapist. So Roy was awesome and By the way, we week. give you tough love here on the show, like eat your soup when it's, you have to. Oh it's still sitting there. It's, you keep it's, you keep looking down at it and I, you're, you're like breathing shock. in the fumes. Well, now I know what I'm going to talk to Roy about next week. This? <laughs> this is your traumatic event for the week? So so you? how did you find Roy? Bobby did. Okay. Yeah. He's That's very, promising. Yeah. he's very, Well, also, Bobby wanted to make sure I have a habit of doing, like, out of insurance, like, the pocket. And then, like, uh, Bobby will get a bill for, like, $300 and then, like, have to reimburse it and get, like, 20 back. So Bobby wanted was to gonna, make sure. An in-network yes, therapist. Yes, in-network. Uh-huh. Um, and he was awesome. You know what he was doing? He was relating things to me through the Housewives and Kardashians. Like, he knew me. Speaking your language. He knew me. Mm-hmm. And he was awesome. And then I, what? I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I looked down this morning on my app, and it said Roy is canceled. Oh, he canceled Yes, on you. just canceled. Did he have any excuse? Didn't say anything. So oh, I, I have I, an appointment. 
or, you know, just like something came up. I messaged you. I don't have his number. They don't give you that. Um, the best. So I messaged him. Be, quote, booking him constantly. I messaged him through the app and I said, what happened? And well, I, haven't heard, <laughs> I haven't heard back from Roy. So ghost. let's hope next week he's around. If not, I got to find another one. Wyatt, talk about your role in this caper with the French onion soup. I mean, I yeah, when did, I texted you, was it Tuesday that we were going to do this? Maybe even Monday. We were planning this all week. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm just – I'm sorry, Christine. Are you? I am. Are you? Because I don't feel – yeah. Why are you sorry? Because – Yeah, why she, are you sorry? She made the bet voluntarily. You didn't have to make the bet, but I you thought did I it. paid this bet you, back. No, we all, like, know, we all know that that's a lie. Don't you smell it? Yeah, it smells fine. It smells like onions and some, you know, soup and whatever. It's getting colder and colder, so it'll be less appealing. Mm-hmm. How hot was it? Was it hot? It was, it was. It was a good temperature. Okay, that's good. So, what were you at the microwave? Heating yes. it up? Mm-hmm. You weren't going to get. And here I'm worried <laughs> that he wasn't getting you the proper coke. I know you're like, oh, will it be a can and not a bottle? I'm like, why? It knows what he's doing. Wyatt understands the assignment. I was so worried about that. And you just kept saying, and I was wondering why he was insisting I sit down in here. Yeah, I was like, why don't, you, why don't we do it here in the studio today as and opposed here, to through the glass? And here I'm thinking, like, finally. No, you say, you're like, my moment has arrived. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it has. You just don't know what that means. I was like, he finally wants me in the studio. And then Wyatt was literally, like, poking his head through that little window looking at me like, should I come in now? And then in it comes. And as soon as Christine saw what was in his hands, she it was like a cat up against a wall. Like she flew out of her chair. She was treating it like it was radioactive or something. I'm surprised you didn't duck and cover under the under the desk. I really was trying so hard. I'm like, cry, just cry. Christine. That was not going to work. You, you, if I had real tears, you would have still made me. Oh, no. We would have had, like, Wyatt, <laughs> like, stand over you and make you do this because you've – the problem is you've told us your tricks. You've talked about how you use the fake waterworks to get out of things, mm-hmm. including tickets. Yeah. So that's not going to work. Mm. Not against GB. <laughs> nope. I, I knew that was a possibility. And now you've done it. Now you've paid your debt to society. You feel good? I yes, I feel I feel okay. By the way, you're gonna have to add those to the calorie count. Sorry, just so you know, you didn't get too much cheese in there, so that's good. Oh my Mama's gonna need a cocktail tonight. <laughs> well, you had you had one last night, didn't mm, you? I had a margarita, which you told us you don't like, and then it was delicious. You loved it. Yeah, it was a prickly pear. Oh yeah, that's good. Delicious. Yeah, it's very good. Yes. Did you? And it wasn't frozen. It was just like on the rocks, mm-hmm. salt, mm-hmm. and you liked it. Delicious. So why didn't you like it ever? I feel like a I, marg is a very cookie drink. I had them once in my 20s, and I had the most severe heartburn. You probably had bad tequila. That's just my guess. Probably. And that was it. I, I was on the vodka after that, and I never you know, looked Did back. Did Quiet Wyatt help you try the marg? Like, was he encouraging you to do oh, this? Yes, oh, yes, yes. This was last night Yeah, in the we city. went to happy hour, and I was actually, I liked it so much because the happy hour ended at 6, and it was like 5.59, and I was trying to flag her down. To get a second one. To get a second one. She waited to turn around until 6.01, and then. Like, oh, sorry. That's exactly what happened. Oh, I didn't see you. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, more margs to come. I think so. And it's now the weekend. We got to go. Hmm.
Happy French Onion Soup Day, America. Producer Christine has paid back her bet. We will never force her to do it again unless she makes another bad bet, but we will talk about it many times. Maybe not carousel level, but this was epic. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Back here on Monday from the southern border, it's The Guy Benson Show. Guys are not my friend. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.